Welcome to the Binge Breakers Podcast. I'm Jacqueline. I am here to teach you how I overcame bulimia and my binge eating disorder and how you can too. Through simple steps of mind management, repairing your relationship with yourself, understanding your habits, and intuitive eating. Disclaimer, this recording is not intended to be utilized as medical advice or a medical diagnosis. If you think you're in need of medical attention or treatment, please seek it immediately. This recording will also contain sensitive subjects such as binging and purging, weight and depression. Please listen at your own discretion and do what you think is best for you. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. It's a special podcast episode today because I have a Binge Breakers Recovery Community course member on here today. And even more importantly than that, I have someone on here who has been through bulimia. She's tried a lot of different things and she is at a point where she's feeling really good. She was just telling me before this call and last week that like her life is feeling a lot more present. And she said, um, I've had a busy week, but from a bulimia standpoint, it's not a big deal. So I'm really excited to bring her on and have her on as a guest to share her wisdom and knowledge with you guys and her story. But anyway, so I would love to introduce you guys to Aoife. Aoife, thank you for being on the show. Thanks, Jackman. Thanks for having me. Um, I think I was telling you last week, I was so nervous, but after our chat, um, I'm actually just super excited to kind of get on and share my story. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we talked to, um, I talked to everyone before the podcast, but we had talked beforehand because there was a lot of things going on, which I'm sure we'll talk about today. But first, could you just share with us, you know, um, where you're from and uh, how long have you struggled with bulimia? So I am from a county called Limerick in a little island called Ireland. And okay. I, I suppose I first um started bulimia maybe when I was 16 17 probably started off with a bit of restrictive dieting kind of um down the more anorexia route and then fell into bulimia I suppose for most of my adult life then you know when uh, I'm 29 Mm -hmm. years of age now so it's been a long journey yeah, definitely. And I, I like sh- asking people that because a lot of people are like, oh, it only happens when you're younger or whatever. And no, it can last a while. And it's it happens to all ages too, which is another good thing to point out. But mm-hmm. um, tell me, you know, just a little bit about your story. Like, well, where were you? Let me try to phrase this correctly. You know, what was bulimia like for you? If you could give us a snapshot of that. Um. I suppose there there were different periods where, you know, throughout the kind of nine years where bulimia um, helped me. And I know that sounds bizarre, but it, it numbed me out so much that I got through things. But then in through the latter years, it had, it almost had me in a chokehold. Like I, every day I was, well, what felt like I was victim to this this monster and it consumed every thought that I had. Every action was revolved around it. I was never present with, you know, friends, family members at events, but like I presented myself as if I was. So it was extremely exhausting. It was like I was living a double life really is kind of what me. I felt like I, I was living a double life. Yeah. Yeah, it really, it takes up so much of your time, so much of your mental space. And not only is it physically exhausting, but it's mentally just draining all the time. Yeah. So um, what type of like, I know you struggled with it for a while, but what type of treatments did you seek? Like, how did you try to get help for that? Um, I suppose I I 
sought out traditional therapy and that I went to my GP and, you know, I was referred to a psychotherapist. Um, I was referred to a dietitian. I've seen psychologists, um, tried loads of different therapies, CPD based, you know, mindfulness, like different programs. And like, I suppose it got me out of a rut, um, but it never fully got me over the hump. Um, mm. So, you know, I'd have a few weeks, a few times, like throughout that period where I was fine. But ultimately, I never addressed the underlying you know problem or issue where I kept falling back into it so um yeah then I one day found your podcast I, I think I must have just googled and I think it was like you had just released it like that exact day as well so I, oh, I know wow. it's like the okay. first person to get onto you um when you brought out the course I was like sign me up straight away because everything you said just resonated with me um to a level that I'd never had with any of my therapists or you know any of my during any of my treatments I'd never felt that connection and I just I just clicked and got it you know um so yeah and then it was a hell of a lot of work after that well I'm that's kind of the meat of it but like what was um what was the work like what was the hardest part about you in recovery or hardest part about recovery I should say so I suppose starting off, I was still so reluctant every time I failed. Just thought, no, this isn't for me. This isn't for me. But I suppose listening to your podcast and being a part of the group, you're kind of reminded that this is part of the process and you have a little bit of support. But the biggest, I suppose, um, learning point for me that really turned my perspective on bulimia and, and having bulimia was knowing that I I could choose that I, I, you know, ultimately I had the power to make a decision whether I wanted to or, or whether I didn't want to. Um, and up until that point, like I gave my power to every therapist or to every diet or to every, you know, self-help book. I, I wanted that to fix me rather than actually taking ownership. Um, so I think it was a rude awakening. You know, there was tears and mm. it was hard to swallow that, you know, all this time that I I had the ch- choice to do it and I had the choice to not do it. Um, but yeah, I got to that point, I suppose, through journaling, you know, through mindfulness, through pausing, you know, that pause method. Although I hated every single second of it, it really, really helped me. It, it really helped me realize that the power that I have, you know, and the control that I do have, you know, whereas I was so flippant before and saying it just happened. I had no control. I lost all control. Whereas slowing things down and sitting with those horrific feelings of anxiety and fear and hunger and, you know, despair almost um, were really worth it because all of that just made me realize that, yeah, look, you go through that, but you can still choose. You know, you don't have to respond. You don't have to respond the way that you've always responded. Yeah, it's like it doesn't always have to be this way. And I, I, I just talked about this on my podcast today about choice and choosing and a lot of people get really upset about that um partly because you're like talking about mental illness and of course you can't choose mental illness but you can choose a lot of the actions that you do right and I'm curious how you didn't because a lot of people take that and they make they blame themselves then and they just like sit in this point of like I hate myself for the choices that I've been making and you spoke a little bit to that but how did you not let that go to a really dark place I think I suppose I had a lot of groundwork done even 
carry over from previous therapies and previous interventions um, about self-compassion and trust and, you know, just really, I suppose, being mindful of, of myself. So having that kind of work done first helped me see the logic, you know, in, okay, like you have this habitual problem, you know, mm-hmm. you're in a good place. So you, it's not your fault, you know, you it's something that your brain has been wired to do. And yeah. I just took, as you said, I took the drama out of it. You know, everything was such a drama to that point. Whereas if you take the drama out of it, okay, what is it when you boils down to it? You know, it's a habit. Right. Just like I, yeah. you know, I'm not going to decide to, you know, I can, if I want to, I can decide to stop brushing my teeth one day, but I know the consequences of that. So I'm not going to, but that, that's, that's how I started to view it in like, okay, you know, the consequences you can choose to do it. It's a habit. It's, you know, but again, there was a lot of work put in for the emotional side of it and, you know, awareness side as well. But yeah. that's ultimately how I suppose I, I didn't succumb to being so harsh on myself. Yeah, that's good to hear because it, it, I think this goes without saying, but like you were mentioning, you did a lot of work beforehand and um, I did a lot of work before I ever stopped the behavior as well. And I don't think you're able to be in a clear spot if you're like in this really deep, dark place in this mental hole of like, I hate myself or just in a loop of self-loathing. It's really hard not to take the drama out of it. Right. So that's absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, you had that experience before. But once you like get things cleared up, I think this is what you found is that once you're in like life isn't like crazy and you actually feel really good, but you still keep doing the binging and purging, you're kind of like, why am I doing this still? Right. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. doesn't really And you, you just have a clearer mind. Mm. Yeah. Yes. And so you're kind of like, what's going on? So you said you had to like sit with emotions and that was excruciating and you hated it can you tell me a little bit more about why that was that way um I suppose again up until the point of when I I started working with you I would have been go 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 like constantly fill my days with activities work you know meeting up with friends or whatever and I realized that I was doing that to avoid stuff you know I was I was avoiding the feeling of anxiety I was avoiding the feeling of you know fatigue or anything uncomfortable and that's where when those did slip in I would just fill them up with food and mm-hmm. binging and purging but when I started to slow things down and you know brought you brought in the bit of self-care and you know I started to realize hang on a second like this there's something else going on here um and I remember the first time I I sat with the nerds I think it lasted maybe 45 minutes and I oh I had to go lie down in bed I had to go lie down in bed I was so wrecked like it was the most exhausting thing it was like I'd just done a workout yeah. um but I got through it it was horrific but I got through it and then you know the next time it wasn't that long and it wasn't as intense you know maybe it was 40 minutes but it it may it, it gave me I suppose the belief that you know actually you can do this no matter how tough it feels and seems yeah and that's that's crazy that it lasted 45 minutes and that you still then got up and did it again right after after having to yeah. like go lay down and stuff like that what um so you got through it what how did you know you were through the urge I'd be curious to know that um I suppose it's it, anyone that has had urges will know that like that real 
heart racing, palm sweating, kind of choking feeling. It just eased that that real intense physiological feelings just kind of surpassed and I just felt calm. Um, and then I kind of knew. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, cause like an urge you, you have to, people like resist it and you have to just kind of let it in, but eventually it will fade away. So I'm glad that you experienced that, even if it was for like 45 minutes, that's really rough. And you saying that you had to like die in bed too. Um, there was a big period in my recovery where I had stopped binging and purging, but I spent a lot of time in bed, like just lying down. Um, so I was exhausted a lot of the time from taking on life again, you know? Yeah. Coming home from work now, one of my favorite things to do is going for a 30 minute nap. Whereas before I would have felt so guilty, like so anxious and that I wasn't utilizing my time or, you know, whereas now it's like one of my favorite activities of the day is my nap after work. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. That sounds like a lot of fun. I like napping's hard for me. Usually if I nap, um, it's cause I desperately need to sleep, but then I end up feeling awful afterwards. But the people that can mm-hmm. nap, like I'm jealous, that sounds like a lot of fun. And it's interesting. Cause you're like, yeah, I would have felt bad before about using my time. Not like, I don't know what uh, the people with bulimia, maybe in particular, we feel like we have to be doing something all the time and have to be utilizing the time perfectly. How did you get over that? Um, I think like it took time as well. You know, none of this happened overnight. I think when did I start with you in like September? Uh, mm-hmm. Was it last year? Yeah. Yes. And only until I'd say maybe the last four months that I really started to just, I suppose, have structure in my day and, you know, structure where I chose what I want to do and what I didn't want to do. Whereas before I jam packed everything. Um, and I think it just being present made me realize that, you know what, I actually hate doing this. I really don't want to go to this person's house. I really don't want to, you know, go on this run, you know? Mm-hmm. So being present, which I suppose coming back to the pause method, taught me taught me stuff about myself that I did not know, that stuff I did not like and stuff that I did like. Because up until that point, if you asked me, I would have said, oh, yeah, I'm the most, most easygoing person. I just say yeah to everything. And But I've really learned what I don't like, which is amazing, you know. Yeah. You told me before, um, I used the phrase of like, I was off with the birds, I think is the phrase that yeah. I heard. Um, yeah. And you said you were like more, you always said like you're, like you said, easygoing and not very opinionated, but you said now you've developed a lot more opinions about things, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, overnight, but you realized you had them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, again, that just keeps empowering you to, you know, be your authentic self and not, you know, people pleasing or not just trying to avoid being with yourself, you know, which I ultimately probably was trying to do that being present. I it's not even what I learned that I do like. I learned so much that I don't like, which if you asked me a year ago, I'd be like, oh, I like everything. I, you know, give me an activity. I'll do it. You know. Right. Yeah. What's something that surprised you that you didn't like? I absolutely hate doing the grocery shopping so much. It is the most tedious task. 
and look not related to believe me or anything like I would have always been like oh yeah I'll go do it because it was a helpful task and you know it killed a bit of time and you know I was up and I was active whereas now I I, I dread it like every week I'm just like oh that's so funny. You're gonna have to like do a meal meal prep service or something like that. That would yeah. be easy yeah. to do. Yeah. I hate um doing laundry. It's like always I always avoid it like the plague and then suddenly we don't have any clothes. So I got to do something about that. We need a laundry prep service. But no, it's it's interesting when you say like you get more present and suddenly you realize that's that's the scary part, I think, about bulimia recovery is that you open yourself up to feeling again and then you notice there's all these things in your life that you kind of want to change right oh absolutely mm-hmm. um, and I think it's because you're so stuck in I suppose this limbo zone that we talked about that you know you just go with the flow of life and you know you it's not that you particularly dislike it but there's nothing that really excites you either you're just like stuck in this kind of mundane you know routine and as soon as I started to become more present and had more time because I think anyone that knows that's been through bulimia or anorexia or any eating disorder that it consumes so much of your day and and your brain capacity that once once that that starts to lower you have so much more time to do things that you want to do and you know read things that you want to read or career-wise if there's something you want to do career-wise you know yeah um absolutely so there's loads of benefits changes in your career too since then as well yeah and I think as I was saying to you that like prior to this I I wouldn't have had the confidence in myself to put myself forward to do certain things in my career you know I would have just stayed stayed where I was and you know kept doing what I was doing but you know I really started to believe in myself. I started to have more time to invest in in my education. And, you know, I pushed myself to get to the job that I really want to be at right now. And look, it is hard. It is time consuming. I am learning so much every day, but it's so worth it. Yeah, but you're actually like enjoying it, even the hard times, right? It's a different type of enjoyment, I'm sure. I'm sure there's some things you don't love it, but... like every job yeah there is days that you don't but the fatigue I think I was saying this to you as well when you come home after a week of work is so much it's like an enjoyable tiredness compared to the fatigue from from having an eating disorder you know it's yeah it's it's hard to put into words but anyone that has been through it will understand um that that fatigue that you get from doing things that you know you really enjoy compared to what the eating disorder was making you feel yeah. And it's almost like you're fatigued for a reason that you actually enjoy too, right? It's, yeah, it's not, absolutely. You're like, I'm fatigued from something that wasn't even that great versus being fatigued from something, a long day of like work that you really enjoyed and a life that you enjoyed for sure. I'd love mm-hmm. to ask you um, about body image and stuff like that. How did that go during your recovery? So I think this is one of the areas that I will continue to work on. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm not even going to say continue to struggle with because I'm at a point now where I'm just completely neutral. So like, I'm not great, but I I don't think I'm struggling at the moment. Um, But that took months of work to just get to neutral, you know? Um, And it's a, it's a good place to be. Like I, focus on what I can do I focus on how my body feels I focus on you know what it does for me task-wise every day rather than you know what it looks like in jeans or can I fit this tank top on and getting to that point took a lot of 
unlearning habits and unlearning I suppose a lot of societal views that I had um and then focusing on I suppose the the neutrality and, and the body functions and all that but I do want to get to a point of where I can say I love my body um I can honestly say I'm not there now but I don't hate it um so yeah I think that 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 mind um mind switch of 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 looking at my body in a completely functional way um really really helped me in recovery yeah because it's it's really hard to go from like I I hate my body to I love my body um but you can definitely say like you love your body for a lot of things that it does for you and mm-hmm. appreciate its functionality so much more because it's what you have right and, absolutely um, I was discussing this with someone else but like a lot, it's very normal for people to just have bad body image days. People that have never struggled, never struggled with eating disorders or anything. They just like, you don't always love how your body looks. And that happens for a lot of people, right? Mm-hmm. Totally. Not, like uh, there's yeah. not one person. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like, so it might be, I think all of us have this image on our head that like, Oh, at some point we're just going to like always love our bodies. And it's like, it's kind of a work in progress relationship always. And it may be normal to not always love how your body looks, but that deep hatred for your body, that's probably more of an issue. I think, you know, a big contributor to my eating disorder was being so body focused. I think, look, you grew up in the, you know, early 2000s. I grew up in the early 2000s. We went to school mm-hmm. in that era where, you know, America's Next Top Model and Kate Moss and all that were the like poster girls. And yeah. that like subconsciously was kind of ingrained into, you know, that this is what beauty is. And I suppose, despite, uh, you know, uh, looking at every other body type and stuff, that's still what girls strive for. So that was a big contributing factor to, you know, developing the eating disorder. And I had to unlearn all those societal views that I had that I had in me since I was very young, you know. Oh, my gosh. I must that must have been like a I mean, I know it's a painful process. What was like maybe your first step in letting go? How did you let go of some of that? So I I don't know if I got this tip from you or from someone else or from a group member or podcast that to unfollow anyone on social media that, you know, doesn't make you feel great about your body. So that was kind of step one. Then step two, I started following, you know, people with disabilities, people with um, amputees and body diversity, culture diversity, you know. I my Instagram now is a, an array of human beings there is no like there's no one prototype that you'll see which just opens my eyes to you know everyone rather than this one particular body type which I think massively helped me even though it, it must have all been subconscious because if you're looking at Instagram models every single day that has to be coming into you somehow you know mm-hmm. yeah. so by by making those few changes and you know becoming a lot more body neutral I I just started to accept that this is where I am and that's okay. And this is where these people are at and that's okay too. Right. Yeah. It's not like anything's better than the other. It's just kind of like seeing it, knowing we're all different. That's so helpful. It just, and um, you're right. Even if you're not like thinking when you see a a supermodel, like, oh my God, I'm a horrible, like my body's horrible because it doesn't look like her or whatever. It's still kind of like, that's, that's better. Right. And like this little Mm -hmm. (laughs) mindset you have and um and I still am all for like people trying to like, we, we both work out. So 
I'm all for like trying to better your body and like make it look, you know, you're allowed to make it look a certain way, you know, if you want, but coming at it with a place of like self-hatred just isn't going to go super well. So being okay with it, no matter what, is such an important skill to learn. So I'm glad that you're on that path. Yeah. And I think it was you that told me that like nobody has ever hated themselves into the body that they want, you know? So yeah. 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 Like, and even if they do, it isn't very pleasant. No, absolutely. And just learning to be content where you are and wanting to strive for more, that's fine. But like the biggest thing was being happy where you're at. Yeah, exactly. People think that if you're happy where you're at, then you're never going to want more. And that seems to be quite the opposite in my own life. And it sounds like that is for you. Once you're kind of like happy, it then opens you up to being like, I want more of this, right? So you you start to Mm -hmm. go after things like you've seen in your own life, which is just amazing. But um, I wanted to ask, I have like tons of things I wanted to ask you, but let's talk about like your recovery. When did you kind of know you were getting to the place of being recovered? Um, so look, being honest, the lockdown COVID 2020 was probably the worst year for the majority of the world. Um, mm-hmm. But for me, it was the biggest learning curve opportunity that I've had in my entire life and it it gave me the chance to recover I think because everything slowed down and I had full focus on you know committing to this and and just seeing what what I could do what, what I was capable of doing so after I joined the course which was September right I think mm-hmm. yeah um obviously there was a few months or a few weeks where it was you know going great and I'd have a slip up here or there and but the overall picture was great and then you know I think around November time I was very down in the dumps and I just thought okay this is just another thing that you know isn't going to work for me and Mm. you know it is what it is and I just have to accept that this is what the way I have to live the rest of my life um and I'm so grateful and lucky that I have a partner that's so supportive um and so encouraging and so relentless in ways not to let me give up you know so he really really gave me I suppose the belief when I didn't have it myself like when I really didn't believe in myself he had you know he he had no doubt in his mind that I could do this and and I fed from that you know I took that from him and I started to believe in myself again and kind of got back on it and was going through the modules you know implementing things and and then it was maybe I suppose late December, I maybe had another week where things were rough and just, I don't know, I got into that slump again now, but the slump started to ease off a bit. You know, they weren't lasting as long. And then I suppose kind of January onwards, things just started to make sense and click and everything that I'd worked on in the last few months just started to fall into place. And, you know, suddenly I I wasn't relying on my partner for, um, for belief I started to believe in myself you know I was like okay you went next amount of days this time and you know you only relapsed for a few days so you're doing great and then the next time and mm-hmm. you know it eventually got to a point where you know I was marking on my calendar and I was like oh god it's been two months and I I I haven't made myself sick and I think that realization was like whoa like y- you you can do this like this this is a life that you can live this this is something that you thought was so unattainable um but here you are living it you know they can see um, it on you. 
Absolutely. And no more than when I used to say that, oh, I just binged and purged out of nowhere. It just happened. It took complete control. Like this, I thought the same with this. And I was like, hang on a second. It didn't. I had a choice and I chose to do this. I chose to recover every day and I put in the work, you know? So I think your brain wants you to downplay a lot of it where, you know, take the wins, like no matter how small they are, take the wins and keep adding to them, you know, really, I suppose, acknowledge your accomplishments the whole way up uh, I think at the start I wasn't doing that enough and I was focusing on my failures so much yeah. and I think getting to um, the point where you know I was two months maybe two and a bit and I suppose there was um, there was a uh, I suppose a, a bereavement and, and, an, and it was a very rough time family-wise and I think all the circumstances that would have made me re- you know relapse before we're, we're all in place uh, on this particular day um I was PMSing it was I was alone it was you know i had had a vomiting bug so I had woken up with extreme hunger um so obviously there was physiological triggers going off and I, I did I I think I told you this like I relapsed that day after going so long um yeah with life it was about like four weeks or so right yeah um even longer I think it may have been six and um, it was strange because after, not even after, during, during that, that relapse, um, I just, I just stopped. I just said, Hey, I don't want to do this. You know, whereas I'd never been able to pull myself out of that before. It, it would have just been a, a whole episode and that was it. It would have been done, but unknowns to myself, I was so present. I was so aware and I, I was so aware of my choices and once I, I got to the point of purging, I was like, hang on, we're, we're, why do you want to do this? Like, look, look at how great your life has been up until this point. Look how much you've achieved. Look how much work you've put in. Do you really want to do this? And I just right. said no. And I got up and went back to my room, and watched some Netflix and got on with my day. And I think that was, I think that was maybe a month ago, like three and a half weeks ago. And like there's been nothing, um, nothing since, you know, I, and I really was so anxious and nervous to tell you this. I know the last time we planned to do the podcast, I look at being honest. I, I thought that I'd be a fraud saying that I was recovered, um, when this had just happened. But I think after our chat, I realized that, you know, every one of those slip ups is a learning opportunity. You know, I'd never been in that situation before. So now I, now I have been, I'll know that I'll never make that choice again. Um, and that recovery isn't one big straight line. You know, you can you can have a straight line, but you can have a little bit of outliers along the way, you know, and that's okay. That does not mean that your recovery is sabotaged, that you're back at stage one, you know, that all the work you've done is for nothing. If anything, I think it has made me stronger and and it has cemented in my mind that there is no way I'm going back. Ah, that's so cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember us talking about it last week and um, I didn't think you were a fraud at all. I was like, this is important to share. And um, I hate the word relapse too, because it really almost kind of doesn't acknowledge all the success that you've had and all of the progress that you've made. And I told someone, one of my other clients, I told someone about your story, about how you had gone for six weeks and had this happen. And because this client was going through kind of a relapse herself and 
I was like, it doesn't have to turn into this thing. And it doesn't, you like this person was able to just make that decision and be like, no, I don't want this. And like, you can do that too. It's, it's amazing that you were able to let that not just bring you all the way back down and just pick yourself back up and move on. Yeah. And, and I think Jacqueline that, you know, if I hadn't put in the work in the last few weeks and months and hadn't, I suppose, become so aware of myself and my body that I would have just used it as an excuse. And, you know, I could have been sitting on the phone with you saying it just happened and that was it. And then like an hour passed and there I was getting sick. Whereas bringing it back to the biggest learning point that I had is that I have a choice. And no matter how difficult that choice is, it still comes down to, do you want to do this, you know, for the rest of your life? Do you want to not do this? Um, Mm -hmm. And that's it. Take out the drama. And I did. And it, it, it was uncomfortable, but it just, it passed. Yeah. It's very sobering. I think is like the the term for it where you're in there and you're wanting to do all these things. And it's like, wait, 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 you bring it back to you. And you're like, do I want to or not? And the answer is usually no. And even sometimes you're like, no, I really want this. You have to question, like, would you have said that two hours ago? Or would you, would you say this in the future? And the answer is almost always no, mm-hmm. of course not. But no, I think it's really brave of you to share that story. And I think a lot of people will relate to it. And also we, we were discussing this earlier, but we wanted to share the story because like you said, recovery is not linear and things happen. And it doesn't make you a fraud. It makes you a real human being. And it's like you said, it's a learning opportunity. And now you kind of know if you're ever in that situation again, how to handle it. And you also have more faith in yourself that you can handle it. You can trust yourself to handle it the best of your ability, right? Absolutely. And I think I was saying that, you know, you, you hear these recovery stories and yeah, they're difficult initially. And then all of a sudden it just seems to be smooth sailing for, for a lot of people. And it's very rare that you hear where people are recovered because I'm not going to say I'm not recovered because I am who people who are recovered you know slip back for an episode or two but they get straight back to it and they're recovered again you know it's 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 I suppose reassuring to hear for someone that's going through that that no that does not mean that you you are not recovered it means that you are part of a normal variant of recovering people you know yeah that you're on that spectrum of recovered um so don't think otherwise don't doubt yourself Yeah. And it's like, as if like judging yourself, there's no, we attach such morality to it. Like, oh, this person's doing better than we are. And it's like, they're on their own path, just like you. And I think something else cool that you said that I would love to backtrack to a little bit is you said, acknowledging your own success. And that is so important. We always like, I see people do it all the time. They'll have successful weeks. They'll go a while and they won't, they'll, they'll, blame other things for it they're like well it was an easy week or yeah just I didn't have any urges or my partner was here the whole time and it's like no you made that happen and for those of you guys listening like Aoife has worked really hard and she's a part of the course and that has helped her but she's the one that implemented it she's the one that kept on trying she's the one that reached out when she needed help like you you created this which I think is just so so empowering Thanks, Jacqueline. Um, yeah. yeah, and again, if you had me on this a year ago, I would be shying away from that compliment and I would be deflecting everything. But 
you know, I've really just started to, I've really just started to own it. I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I did that and yeah, it was tough and, you know, I feel great that I, I've gotten to, to this point of where I can actually accept my, um, you know, my flaws and my errors as well as accepting, okay, you've actually succeeded quite well there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you accept your flaws and errors, you do it in a way where it's like, this is what we need to work on. It's not like when I mess up now, it's usually like, Oh, I probably should have done that differently. Um, it's Mm -hmm. not a look at you. You're such a failure anymore. It's much more constructive. Right. Yeah. And it's coming from a place of compassion rather than, you know, trying to beat myself down. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's another thing that I think everyone needs more of. It's just like that self-compassion. We, we think it's going to make us, like make room for excuses when really it, it allows you to do more things because you're not going to beat yourself up when you make mistakes. It, it leaves room for error, mm-hmm. I think is a good way to put it. So um, I might ask you, and I feel like I have good ideas of what you're going to say, but I don't know. Um, if some who, to someone who's struggling with bulimia right now, they don't know like what to do. They're just like, they need some sort of advice. What, what's like the main advice you would give them? Um, I know this is so cliche, but to believe in yourself and to know that if, if I can recover and honestly, I heard people say that all the time. Oh, if I can recover, you can. But honestly, I was in the depths of despair. I had just given up to, okay, this is how my life is going to be, but you can, it takes a lot of hard work and I think you need to be ready for that. And if you're not, then you know, recovery isn't the option for you just yet. But if you're if you're ready to do the work um, and believe that you can, reach out, get help. You know, mm-hmm. this isn't something that I would choose to do alone because I've tried it alone and it, it's just a lot harder. Um, you know, listen to podcasts, you know, get a coach, become part of a group, get some self-help books you know whatever you can do to improve your knowledge and and I suppose your involvement in in the community of eating disorders um I really think that that speeds up recovery I don't mean to say it in that you're going to be recovered in two or three weeks but it just it takes out the the chances of error you know by I definitely try to recover myself and look people have done it and fair play to them but I ended up just critiquing myself and going down the wrong restrictive paths and finding new diets and I'd spent a lot of time and money doing that when really if I was with somebody who had been through it before or somebody that was going through it at the same time it would have made a lot more sense and I would have saved a lot of time and money and I could have related and given advice and taken advice you know Mm -hmm. so yeah I kind of went off path there but believing in yourself (laughs) believing in yourself um being ready to do the work and being a part of some sort of a community or having some support system right yeah and I I understand what you're saying there like believing yourself is core I just talked about that in the podcast today as well but because like if you don't believe then it it sounds cheesy but if you don't believe you're not going to even try it doesn't make any sense 
but also with like the getting help thing, like you said, you can recover on your own, but it, like you, you discuss it, it leaves it when you get help, wherever you can find it, it's putting you in a much better position to not leave things up to chance and also to have support when you need it, when you veer off path. Like with you, um, when you had lower moments, you had the support of your partner, you had the support of our community, and um, you kept pushing, right? And you kept reaching out when you needed help. So I think that's when that can really come in handy and help people. Yeah, definitely. And as I said, if I if I was to do it alone, it's not to say that I'd never recover, but I, I might still be, you know, at the start of recovery, or I, I might still be exploring areas that I I don't actually need to or that don't benefit me you know I think having somebody guide you um having some peer support having that belief when you don't believe in yourself which I had from my partner all of that I don't want to say accelerated but it it did um my recovery and and it kept it flowing you know Mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of like having that course correction near you and um I don't, and I always like on this podcast, I try to strike a balance of like helpful content, but I don't want to like advertise the course like obsessively or anything, but what mm-hmm. might've been helpful for you inside the course was that like seeing others in the group going through the same thing as you, right. And like seeing that, oh, I'm not the only one. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as of late, um, being a part of that Facebook community is invaluable. Like it's completely mind-blowing to see how honest and raw and helpful that people going through the exact same thing that you are or that you have are putting themselves out there you know and it's things that no psychologist no psychotherapist no partner can help you with because they haven't been in your shoes whereas these people you don't even need to explain they just get it you know and Mm -hmm. there's something something really raw but something really refreshing about being in a community like that. Yeah. Um, I'm not an alcoholic, but I'd imagine that being a part of some sort of alcoholic community would, would be the same effect, you know, that there's this kind of unspoken bond between you. Yeah, you've, you've both shared the similar experience. I've, I was talking to a client who she is recover, a recovered alcoholic as well, and she was saying peer support was so valuable to my recovery because they um they can help you and wait they understand like you're saying you don't have to explain to them they just get it and they can say things to you and push you in ways that no one else can which is just magical too and I've heard so many people tell me like with the group coaching calls too it's like it's nice to know I'm not the only one that's crazy right (laughs) going through this you're not alone and I think that's what like the importance of sharing this podcast too is you're not alone certainly Mm mm-hmm Definitely. Peer support and being around people that are in similar situations, it's just invaluable, yeah. Yeah, that's so exciting. Um, I'd love to ask them to maybe wrap things up, but uh, what is the best part about where you're at right now in your life? Um, The best part about where I'm at? So I suppose I... I'm doing things that I always wanted to do oh, career wise, you know, sport and activity wise, family and friends wise. Like I am choosing to do things on my terms, which is so bizarre for me. You know, I always pleased other people did things because I felt like I needed to. Um, 
so yeah, I think choosing what I want to do every day um, is probably one of the best things. Choosing what I want to eat every day is, I know to somebody who doesn't have an eating disorder, this that kind of sounds like crazy, but it's one of the most amazing feelings to, you know, pick something out of the fridge, put it in my lunch bag for work, go to work without any drama, any thinking about it, any anxiety afterwards and you know go home and have dinner in the evening and do the same thing over again and having the evening having the evening to go for a walk or go for a swim without having that guilt or anxiety or fatigue from an eating disorder you know Mm -hmm. I think my life is is like the way I would have imagined it you know like I could have only ever dreamed for it to be like this and there's nothing spectacular about my life it is the most normal mundane life but it's it's like a dream come true to be in the position that I'm in now and to be present and to not like some things and to be pissed off at work and to be pissed off my partner but I'm choosing to do all of that right yeah that's so cool I love that you said that at the end because it's like things still happen but you're there for it which is it's so much more fun and it is like a dream even though it seems so mundane that you have the comparison of not being there for it before and with bulimia so it's that's amazing I'm so happy to hear that and Mm. I'm just I'm happy that you're going through all this and I think it's so brave and vulnerable what you're doing here too and sharing it but just like brave that you went through this journey on your uh and chose to do it and it's just it's amazing it's really inspiring and I say this I think people think I'm being cheesy or whatever but like talking to people like talking to you seeing what you guys are doing it really inspires me and it just makes me grateful to be able to see it and know you guys for sure but thanks Jacqueline I'm so go ahead okay I'm just saying I'm so grateful that you have created this community you know if you asked me two years ago if I would have been a part of a Facebook group with all you know people who have bulimia I would have been like god no you're crazy but it's like my favorite thing of the week is is the Wednesday Facebook live or the Thursday um, group call you know it I get so excited and to hear other people's progress and to problem solve other people's problems you know it just it keeps me motivated and it keeps me wanting to continue to do better. Like even though bulimia has stopped um, and my eating disorder has kind of stopped, there's still so much other progress that I want to make that I never thought that I, you know, would be able to before. Um, Mm -hmm. And being a part of a group and and working on that stuff, just, you just want to keep bettering yourself. And I know that sounds cheesy as well, but, but you do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's like, there's more and more, you, you start to get uh, a little greedy for life, right. In a really good way. And you're almost taught to like, oh, you shouldn't want for things, but it just, it makes life like you have a lust for life, I think is so amazing. Mm -hmm. So I'm, yeah, I'm smiling. I'm really happy to hear this. And I mean, I, I know I've talked to you before, so I know some of these things, but it's just, that's all really, really cool. (laughs) My informative opinion of it. So thank you for sharing your story on here, Eva. I'm sure a lot of people relate and thank you for being here. Thanks Jacqueline. And sorry, just before we go, I know I'd mentioned this to you and it is something that I hated doing at the start and I still do it to this day now. Um, So journaling, 
I was the most anti-journaler you would ever come across. I just thought it was stupid and I didn't want to write my ideas out. I didn't want to, what is the point of this? Like, you know, nobody's reading it. It's just words on paper. But I did it reluctantly um, and kept doing it and kept doing it. And, you know, it became a habit where I'd have my coffee and water in the morning and I'd journal or I'd brain dump, whatever you want to call it. You know, get all that crap out of your head. Mm-hmm. But what I started to write was, my reasons why every single day without fail and they never changed so it was always the same reasons and every time I looked at them it you know there's something bigger than me and you know it just kept reminding me every single day so no more than when you're looking at Instagram with these models like subconsciously that's going into my head every single day that this is the reason why you're choosing um and for something that I hated so much it's now just like second nature to me in the morning I just it happens and gets me set up for the day and that's it you know when something must be going on in my brain when I write it and I see it Mm -hmm. um to keep me motivated and to keep me you know um focus on my goals yeah absolutely I'm so glad you shared that because I have a I have a lot of clients that come to me that are very journal resistant a lot of people are journal resistant because they think it's like I was one of them. Yeah, that's so funny you said that. But um, you writing out your whys every day, so powerful. And people think, well, it's just writing down the same thing every day. But your brain forgets things. You forget things as a human being going doing a million things a day. Like, it's really hard too when you're in the middle of your life and then you have an urge and being like, I don't even want to try today. Having really important whys and writing them down and reminding yourself of them constantly will help you go through that because it's like, no, there's a reason we're not just going to say, fuck it, here are our reasons. Remember, we wrote them down today. So thank you for sharing that. That's a really good tip. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for all of you guys listening out there. Um, And I hope that this has helped some of you guys and inspired some of you guys. So please never give up on yourself, my friends. Hey, if you like this episode, you have to come check out the Binge Breakers Recovery Course. If you're trying to recover from bulimia and you're sick of doing it alone and you feel like you've tried a lot of traditional therapies and it's not working with you, come join the course. Go to bingebreakers.com slash recovery dash course.